Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, welcome this morning. How many of you remember, maybe you don't, maybe you're too young for this, and I'm just dating myself as being really old, uh, but in 1984, there was a movie that came out called Beverly Hills Cop, starring Eddie Murphy. Does anybody remember that movie? Well, there was a theme song, all right? They wanted a theme song for this movie. They wanted a theme song, and so they hired Glenn Fry from the Eagles. At that time, the Eagles had been broken up, and so they hired Glenn Fry to play the guitar and to sing lead vocals for a song that was written specifically as the theme song for this movie. It was supposed to be a throwaway song and the theme song for that movie, does anybody know? The Heat Is On. Anybody remember that one? The heat is on. I'm not going to sing it, all right? Sorry, not going to sing it. The heat is on, right? Glenn Fry got paid $15,000 just to do that. That was all he got. He didn't own the rights to this. He got paid $15,000. That song went on to top billboard charts, not only in the United States, but around the world. It ended up being the number two song in 1984 as a result. It was a throwaway song. The heat is on. And that's an expression, isn't it? The heat is on. In fact, the heat is on is not a new, it's, it's a relatively new expression. It comes from the 1930s, America during the gangster era. And, uh, and the heat is on meant that the police were after you. The cops were after you. The heat was on. And then it came to mean that, that you had been arrested and you were being interrogated. You were getting grilled. The, the, the heat is on. And then that phrase became an international phrase that simply meant I'm under a lot of stress. I'm under a lot of pressure of a deadline or an expectation at work. And, uh, and today it just simply means, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm out of, I, I'm having my, my, my strength is being tested. I'm, I'm at the end of my resources. The, the heat is on. Well, today we're going to take a look at actual heat today. The heat is on of a fiery furnace. And we're going to be looking in Daniel chapter 3 today. And I know that this is a popular story. If you uh, grew up in church or spent any time in Sunday school, you, you remember, anybody remember felt boards? Felt boards? Yeah, see, I'm dating myself. There are some of you who don't even know what a felt board is. Let me tell you something. An iPad has nothing on a felt board. All right, I'm just going to tell you that right now. And, 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 and when you were there, I mean, you got these the felt boards, you know, and you, 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 had the, you had the wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he was there. And then you had this fiery furnace, and you had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and this, this big thing. And, and so some of you are really familiar with this story. But today, I just want you to say, Lord, open up my heart that I might learn something new today. Open up my heart that I might get something from you today as we take a look at Daniel chapter 3 today. Again, Daniel chapter 3 happens about 15 to 20 years after the story we looked at last week. Last week, we were looking again at Daniel chapter 2. We spent two weeks in Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and, and, uh, and, and in that dream was a statue, and Babylon represented the head of gold, and the Medo-Persians represented the, the arms and the chest of uh, 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 silver uh, and the shoulders of silver and then it went on down to bronze and, and we talked a little bit about that. But what's happened now in this next chapter is about 15 to 20 years later. So at that point, they were the at the end, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel and Daniel chapter 2, they were about 17, 18 years old. 
They were about, about the end of their training, their three-year training, and, uh, and it was there that Daniel had interpreted the king's dream after, after fasting and praying with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and Daniel says, hey, if there's one thing, king, not only promote me, but these guys prayed with me, and, and they were promoted as well, and so the things had been going really well for these guys. They had been promoted, and, and things were going really Well, but you know, when time passes, how many know that sometimes we forget about things? When time passes, sometimes the, the, the initial, you know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar ended up, oh, Daniel, your God is the God of gods. He is the God. But as time passes, how many know sometimes we can drift away from those things? And so 15 to 20 years later is a, a very different set of circumstances. And in, in, in fact, the end of Daniel chapter 2, 48 and 49 ended like this. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position. And he lavished many gifts on him. And he made him ruler over the entire providence, uh, province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the provinces of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. And so again, here it is, God's promotion of them. They have honored God, God's promotion of them. But things change. And 15 to 20 years have passed and the dream of the statue and the image with the, the gold being taken and the chest of arms of silver not happening, the kingdom of Babylon during this time has only grown stronger. It's only grown stronger. And so Nebuchadnezzar decides, you know what? My kingdom is growing stronger. I'm not sure about that dream. Maybe that isn't ever going to come to pass. I don't know. But you know what? My kingdom has only gotten stronger. So guess what? I'm going to put my own image of gold. I'm going to erect my own image, not just the head of gold. The entire image is going to be gold because I'm declaring that I'm more powerful. I'm more powerful. My kingdom is the most powerful. And you know what? Anybody that doesn't bow down, they're going to experience the heat of the furnace. Take a look. Daniel 3.1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high, 60 cubits wide, and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. You know what 60 cubits is? 60 cubits is about a foot and a half is, is what a cubit is. And so a statue of about 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. That's pretty big. 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. Verse 2 continues, then he summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the provincial, uh, provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. And so here we get the list again. So the satraps, the prefects, you're going to get a lot of this in Daniel chapter 3. The guy who wrote this likes lists. So I'm just giving you a heads up right now. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. So again, these are all the governing officials of Babylon. And remember, who was promoted into being one of these administrators? Who was promoted? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were a part of the administrators. So all the administrators are are gathered and and called to come together for the dedication of this image. This is a a big deal. This is a national deal. All right? This isn't just a, a, a little thing. This is a national deal. This is about to be a national holiday, a national celebration. Nebuchadnezzar is celebrating the glory of his kingdom, the glory of his nation, that his nation is the 
the nation above all nations and he is the king above all kings and all of you who are in my kingdom, all of you who serve, come and today we are going to celebrate Babylon. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to celebrate it. And, and many people believe that, that the image, just as an image of gold, some people believe it was an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Others say maybe it was a symbol of a Babylonian god or a symbol just simply of, of different symbols of Babylon coming together. But it, it, was a, it was an image of gold that represented the power and the might of Babylon. And here's what happens in verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed nations and peoples of every language. This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither, whatever that is, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and harp and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Friends, at this point, the heat is on. The heat is on. Nebuchadnezzar declares, he gathers all the officials, he gathers them together, and he says, here's the image of gold, and whenever you hear the music play, I want you to bow down, because we're about to have a worship service to the God. We're about to have a worship service to the God of Babylon that I have set up, the image of gold that I have set up. We're going to have a worship service. Make no mistake, friends, this was, this was not just some uh, little deal, all right? This was about worship. You have to understand that in that day and age, nationalism and, and religion were one. There was no separation of church and state. There was no separation of church and state. The different gods of these nations and the gods of Babylon were one with the way in which they ruled. It was all one. They believed that, that when they won a war, it was because their God was more powerful. They believed that if, if they won a battle or if they had favor in their crops... If they had rain and there was not drought, then the gods were in their favor. You have to understand that this was not an atheistic culture. This was a culture that believed in the gods and the goddesses. And many of the nations around them also believed in gods and goddesses in a polytheistic world. And so for them to come together, it was nothing for them to simply say, Okay, well, we'll add this god to our list in whom we worship. We'll add this god in, in, in whom we pledge our allegiance to. We'll add this God into whom we will bow down. So what's the big deal? And so they gather all the officials together, but there was a problem. There was a problem because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were a part of that. But the problem was is that they were of the Jewish faith. They were Israelites in whom their God was Jehovah and said, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. So the pressure was on. Everybody else was doing it. The pressure was on. Have you ever felt pressured to do what everybody else is doing? Even though you didn't necessarily believe it, have you ever felt uh, the pressure that because, well, this is what everybody's doing. This is what everybody's doing, so, so we ought to do it. This is what everybody, just do it because everybody's doing it. That's just the way it is. That's just the way culture is. Our culture says that this is okay. That's the way it is. And pressure at work. That's just what everybody does at work. Everybody fudges a little bit. Everybody lies a little bit to make the sale. Why won't you do that? You ever felt like you've been swimming upstream? There's pressure. 
Pressure to accept certain things that, that, that violate God's word set as normal. Pressure to, to, to compromise convictions. Pressure to compromise. That's what's going on. What's going on here is great pressure. Pressure to just accept the norm. And hey, after all, we're one of these officials. We got to show our loyalty to the king and loyalty to Babylon, right? Everybody is doing it. Friends, throughout your life, there are going to be times when your faith is tested. Throughout life, there are times when our faith is tested, times when, when our relationship with God is tested, and times when you experience a trial and a test because of taking a stand for something that you believe in. Craig Rochelle, Christian author and pastor of Life Church, once said this, a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. And in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are faced with a test of their faith. They've been serving again at a top level in the Babylonian government positions. They've received favor, but 15 to 20 years now have passed with that favor. And now they are faced with a decision, follow the crowd and bow down, or trust God and take a stand. Let's see what happens. Verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears, here's the list again, the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They they neither serve you nor the gods, uh, nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Did you catch what it was at the beginning? Who these people were? It says at this time the astrologers came forward. Remember back 15 to 20 years ago, uh, when, when in Daniel chapter 2 that we were in last week, do you remember who uh, Nebuchadnezzar had first called in and said, hey, I've had this dream. And they said, well, give us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. And he said, no, 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 I don't know if you're telling me the truth. I want you to tell me what I dreamed and then I'll know if the, the, the interpretation is correct. Do you remember who that was who failed, whose lives were on the line? The astrologers. Do you know who didn't get promoted? The astrologers. The Chaldeans. The Chaldeans during that time. That was the the Babylonian people. And now these foreigners, these exiles, these young teenage punks that we have brought in and trained in three years and who don't serve our gods. They were the ones who, who got elevated and promoted in 15 to 20 years. They've been looking for an opportunity. And now is the opportunity. Now they have the time. We're gonna take these guys down. Hey King, (laughs) you set up this image. But these guys don't worship your gods. These guys won't worship the image of gold you've set up. Look at these guys. These guys. And that's what happens. All of a sudden, they're highlighted. And you set these Jews over the affairs of the kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar, man, he's furious. That's what verse 13 says, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? And he's thinking he's going to be a really nice guy here. Watch, he's going to give them a second chance. Here's the list again. He just loved this list. 
Now when you hear the sound of the horn, I should make you repeat this with me. The horn, the flute, the zither, whatever that is, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music. If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good, right? Very good. But (laughs) if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. I'm a nice guy to a point. Then what, this is the line right here. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? The heat is on. The heat is on, right? <laughs> the heat's on. These guys have a decision, all right? They have, there, there is something here. here. Here they were. They just said, you know what? We're not bowing down. They didn't make a big deal. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. We're not bowing down. But now they've been brought in. They're right before King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the king of the most powerful kingdom, most powerful nation in all of the known world at that time. This guy right now, he has got the power of life and death. So he thinks in his hands. He thinks that's the case. And he says to them, listen, I'm a nice guy. You guys have done me right before, so I'm going to try to do right for you. Come on. If it plays, just bow down. Just bow down. But friends, if you don't, (laughs) I'm not such a nice guy. You're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. Right? He warns them. And he says, listen, you think your God is more powerful? Any God going to be able to rescue you from my hand? I am. I've got the power. I've got the power, since we're doing that kind of thing today, you know, right? Oh, never mind. And in the verses that follow, I want to share with you three qualities of faith, three qualities of faith when the heat is on. First, when the heat is on, faith obeys God instead of following man. When the heat is on, faith obeys God rather than following man. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, what are they going to say? King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You see, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this was not a preference issue. This was not a, we prefer this God and not this God. This wasn't, a, this wasn't a preference issue. This was a matter of faith and a matter of conscience. The word worship here is used 11 times in these verses. Understand, this was not just some cultural thing. There was some, something spiritual attached to it. And it was the spiritual act of bowing down in worship. It was a religious act. And for these Jewish men, they understood something. They knew that idolatry was something that God did not permit. Idolatry was the very thing that got them in exile in the first place. Idolatry was the very thing. They recognized that the the idolatry that they had in their heart, the idolatry as a nation that they experienced was the very thing that led to their exile and led to God's punishment. And they said, we're not going back there again. We're not doing that again. We're not bowing down. We don't serve any other gods. They knew that God's judgment would fall on them. They knew what was clear. Exodus chapter 24 and 5. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, look at this, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. 
They knew that God had made that declaration. They also knew that when they had come out of Egypt and they stood at Mount Sinai and Moses went up on the mountain for God to talk to him, that, that Moses' brother Aaron, who was the priest at the time, had, had collected a lot of the, the gold earrings and a lot of the things that they had brought out of Egypt and he had formed a golden calf as a result and God's judgment had come and a plague had come. They knew that they were not to worship any other gods, that this was a big deal. They understood that it was a direct violation violation of God's word. And friends, when there's a direct violation of God's word, then scripture shows us over and over again that we are to take our stand and obey God rather than man. We're to take a step of faith and obey God rather than man. Friends, there are times when culture wants you to bow down in a direct violation of what God's word says. There'll be times when you'll be tested and times where where you will have to make a choice. Am I going to bow down and go with the crowd or am I going to take a stand and obey God? You see, like these Jewish exiles, as believers in Jesus, we too are exiles in this world. This world is not our home. The Bible calls us, Peter calls us exiles and strangers in his writing. That we are, this is not our, our home. There are times when we need to take a stand when it's not popular. Before I, I move past this for a moment, I want to just make this observation. I kind of led into it in the beginning a little bit. How did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego take their stand? How did they take their stand? Well, let, let's take a look at the story. And these officials have been invited to the dedication, the image of gold. All of them have been invited to come. And so they, they come, they've been invited and that, that, they're to, that, that when the music plays, they're to bow down. What do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? They simply choose not to participate. I think sometimes we have it mixed up. I think sometimes we think that in order for us to take a stand when there is something that, 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 is, that is not a part of our faith, that we have to be loud about it. I think there are times where, when, when we think that taking a stand is associated with being loud. It's, it's making a big deal. It's picking up a sign and holding it up. I will not bow down. I will not bow down. I think sometimes we think it's putting something all over social media and blasting it. And I'm not bowing down. And it's terrible. And, and all of this. And getting all loud. Can I just tell you that I think that taking a stand really begins more like this. Where it just simply says, you know what? I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to participate. Sometimes we we get in our own way. Because we have to be all loud about it. When simply, the best thing to do is just simply not participate. Just don't participate. That's what they did. Everybody else bowed down and these guys stood up. They, they, didn't, they didn't make a big deal. They didn't put it out on their social media feeds. I know they didn't have social media back then. They didn't circulate it through the email in the company office about we will not, we're not going to do. They just simply did not bow down. But here's the thing. When you don't participate, people will take notice. You don't have to be loud because when you simply don't participate, people take notice and it causes a reaction. It does. It causes a reaction. It created a controversy because they did not, they did not bow down because they decided simply to not participate. All of a sudden others noticed, hey, why aren't you participating? Why didn't you do this? Why aren't you doing that? And guess what? When they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, do you know what they said? 
We don't have to defend ourselves in this matter. Sometimes we get all defensive. Do you know that when Jesus was falsely accused and he stood before Pilate, do you know what? You know what happened when he stood before Caiaphas, the high priest, and being accused of all these things? Do you know what he did? He kept his mouth shut. You know what I think affects our witness as believers when we try to take a stand? We don't learn, we, we're not very good at keeping our mouth shut. We feel like we got to defend ourselves. I'm not saying there's not a time where you have to give an answer. Scripture talks about that too. But I think sometimes our arrogance and our pride and our defensiveness and really, it's really uh, that, that we really are, are really struggle with self-image. That's really part of it. We're, we're not super confident and because we're not confident, we can't keep our mouth shut. And when we open up our mouth, it shows how unconfident we are. That's extra. They simply said, King, we don't need to defend ourselves. This is our position. This is our stand. We're just not going to participate. We're not going to participate. You know what? Some of you need to start right here. You, you know, when we talk about taking a stand, some of you are so worried. Oh, how do I got to get loud. Do I got to put something out on my social media feed? Do I got to? Scripture says just don't participate. The example, just don't participate. Some of you need to start right there. Don't participate. You know, when you're, when you're in the office and you're asked to cover something up or you're asked to lie so that you can make the sale and help the company's bottom line, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to participate in that. I'm not going to do that. Well, you have to do that. No, I, 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 I believe in a God who says that lying is wrong. I believe in a God that says that, that cheating is wrong, that stealing is wrong. I'm sorry, I'm just not going to participate in that. I'm not going to do it. Well, you're going to lose your job. Well, that might happen. I don't have to defend myself in this matter, but I'm not doing that. I'm just, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Culture has all kinds of things in this way. There's all kinds of things that culture says, this is the direction you should go. This is the way that you should go. This is what you should do. And you know what? Sometimes you just have to say, I'm not going to participate in that. Everybody after work, come on, join us. Let's go out to the bar. Okay, I'll, I'll go with you. I'm going to just get a, get a, I'm going to get a pop. I'm going to get a Coke. I'm going to get a Pepsi. I'm going to get that. Oh, you don't want to, you don't want something to drink. You don't want this. No, I'm sorry. I, I don't, I don't do that. I'm just not going to participate. Oh, come on. You got to have some. No, I'm just not going to participate. I'm just not going to do that. Halter says, Hey, you got to sleep around. That's what you got to do. You're in a relationship, you got to sleep together. You're in a relationship, you got to live together. You're in a relationship, you got to do. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to do that. You know what? The image of God, God says I'm made in his image. And you know what? He really values the image of God. He values marriage so much that he compares Jesus to a husband and the church to his bride. And I, I just want to honor marriage and I want to honor my future spouse. And you know, we're just not participating in that. We're not going to do that. We're we're saving that for marriage. We're saving that because that's special for marriage. That, that honors God. We're just, we're not participating in that. Some of us need to start there. If you can't take a stand in those areas, you're not going to be able to take a stand later on when it really matters. When it's not a silly mask or a vaccine that is not the mark of the beast. Okay, I'm not promoting anything. I'm just telling you. All right. It's not the mark of the beast you'll know when it's the mark of the beast. And hopefully you won't, because if you believe in pre-trib like I do, I'm not going to be here. Just saying, that's extra. 
That's extra. I know. Some that might not be what you believe. That's okay. You know, we'll take our stand. If I'm wrong, I'm still going to take my stand and I'll know. I'm just simply saying, friends, sometimes you've just got to say, I'm not participating in that. I'm not doing that. I'm a believer in Jesus. And that's what God's word says. And I'm, I'm just not, I'm not going to participate. Secondly, faith obeys God in spite of what it sees. So when you trust the Lord by faith and you take a stand, let me tell you something. When you take a stand, you also have to be willing to accept the consequences. This is not popular. What I said before wasn't popular, but this is even more not popular. Because when we take a stand, we want God to show up. God, you're going to show up and, 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 and you're going to protect me from the consequences. I, I will not lose my job. I, I will not lose that relationship. I will not lose that friendship. Friends, we got to accept the consequences. Here, here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 17 and 18. Friends, they said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, if we're thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But here it is, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story, but friends, these guys didn't know the end of the story. As far as they were concerned, they recognized that taking a stand had consequences to it. And they knew that God had the power to be able to deliver them. But he was also sovereign. And maybe his plan would not be deliverance. Maybe it would result in death. And they were willing to take their stand and trust the sovereignty of God when they couldn't see it. Friends, there are times when you don't know what the consequences are going to be, what the end is going to be, how it's going to end up for you. You need to understand that when you take a stand, there will be consequences. There will be consequences. Dr. David Jeremiah in his book, Agents of Babylon, said this. When they said, but of not, but if not, excuse me, but if not, they were questioning, they were not questioning God's ability. Boy, I really messed this up. Let me start over again. When they said, but if not, they were not questioning God's ability to deliver them. They were placing themselves in submission to his will. Theirs was the same attitude expressed by Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if it be, God, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But if not, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You have to understand that when you take a stand, you don't know what the consequences may be and what you may have to go through. Sometimes you may end up in the fire as a result of, the, of what you take. Sometimes you may experience loss as a, as a result of taking a stand. Taking a stand does not mean that God will always deliver you from it. He has the power to do that but he may not he may not sometimes friends taking a stand might result like Paul in being beaten and imprisoned for sharing your faith 
and taking a stand. Sometimes it may be being excommunicated from your family, from your friends. If you talk to missionaries or even this week we had an area meeting and God's doing an amazing work among the Amish down in Middlefield. But because they're of them making a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, some of them are being excommunicated from their community. Some of them are having their children taken and put in homes and they don't even know where they are. This is happening just south of us in our own backyard when people are making a decision to follow Jesus and come out of that Amish community. I know we like to picture the Amish as just, you know, they're like peace and, you know, they, and the horse and buggy. But it's a cult. There's a cult. And some of them coming to Christ are experiencing great persecution. Friends, there are some times where you will experience that great persecution that will come. True faith is not always God delivering us by his power. True faith is willing to trust in his sovereignty and plan even when it means going through the fire. Even when it means going through the fire. Author Philip Yancey shares a a story in his book, Where is God When It Hurts? And he writes a story about an athlete by the name of Brian Sternberg. And Sternberg was a pole vaulter. And he, he set record after record after record. And one time he, he saw, he, 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 he had experienced the world record. He achieved the world record in pole vaulting. And then three weeks later, as he cleared the pole, this time he landed not like he expected. He landed on his head and he broke his neck. He heard his neck snap. And he felt nothing, and he was a quadriplegic that was bound to a wheelchair. Less than a year after the accident, a major magazine in America asked to write an article about his career and the accident, and as a Christian, and as he claimed to be one, how are you dealing with the fact that that you're now a quadriplegic in a wheelchair? And, and he wrote an article about it. I just want to share with you just the last, just the last four short sentences of it. He writes this, having faith is a necessary step towards one of two things. Being healed is one of them, but peace of mind, if healing does not occur, is the other. Either one will suffice. Friends, that's true faith. True faith says, I believe that God can. I believe that God can heal. I believe that God can provide. I believe that God can deliver. I believe that God can protect. But even if he doesn't, that will suffice. I will trust him. True faith is taking a stand and going against the culture, even though we might face the consequences, we might face the fire. Friends, I love the promises in God's word, don't you? They're yes and amen in Christ Jesus. I love to to write the promises out, but one of the ones that I don't like to write out and that I don't have posted in my bathroom on the mirror is this promise of God. That Jesus said in John 15, 20, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. I don't see anybody cross-stitching this one. Yet it's a promise of God. For every believer, it's a promise of God. And faith chooses to obey in spite of what it sees. Thirdly, faith is obedience. A faithful obedience is our responsibility, but the outcome is God's. Again, going into that idea of the sovereignty of God, can you imagine Nebuchadnezzar not happy? Here's what happens. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. Oh, he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Remember, he's a reactionary guy. 
commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes and trousers and turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace so hot, the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. Now that's anger, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar needs anger management. He's a reactionary guy. Turn it up seven times hotter. You know, where's my strongest soldiers? Usually with soldiers, you know, with, 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 when they're getting ready to, you know, punish you like that, they strip you down to embarrass you. He just said, tie them up with their clothes and everything on. You got all their clothes and everything. You just tie them up, bind them nice and tight. They can't get loose. Throw them in. And, they, and then his soldiers even died and all. He wanted to make sure that they did not survive and that he, he was going to say that what I said is true. No God is going to rescue you from my hands, right? Friends, that's what I mean by outcome. When you take a stand, you don't know what it means. It may mean getting roughed up. It may mean losing something. It may mean getting bound. It might mean looking, looking bleak, the hot furnace. But friends, God is in control of the outcome. And I just want to close with just some lessons of God being in control of the outcome. Lessons we learn when we trust and obey the Lord. First, what we see is God will walk through the fire with you. When you go through it, God's going to walk through the fire with you. King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw in the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four walking around the fire, unbound, unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. This is what we call a theophany in scripture, a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. It looks like one of the sons of the gods. He didn't know how to say it. They were in the midst of the fire, but guess what? In the midst of the fire, there was the presence of Jesus with them. There was the presence of Jesus with them. Friends, you might not always escape the fire. Sometimes you got to go through the trial. Sometimes you got to go through the fire. Sometimes that's the sovereignty of God. But this is a promise of God that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28... And verse 20, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Isaiah 43, 2 makes this promise. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they'll not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Friends, we have the responsibility of being faithful and obedient. God has the responsibility of the outcome. But I can tell you there is something powerful about his presence that is with you. His presence is with you. Secondly, God is always sovereign whether the outcome is triumph or tragedy. Going back again, our God can deliver us and he will. But if not, we will not bow. In other words, if we get delivered, great. But if we perish, so be it. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Some of us live under the illusion that if trouble is avoided, that we get delivered from calamity, that God's sovereignty is upheld. But friends, the bottom, when the bottom drops out, when there's pain and suffering and loss of life, what do we go? Where goes the sovereignty of God? God, where are you? Friends, God is sovereign when he delivers. God is sovereign when he does not. Job lost 10 of his children. And one day he lost his own health. He fell, fell, fell down. He worshiped God. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all things are good, but that God can turn things around for his good. And I've discovered 
Friends, that there are times when the plan of God doesn't feel very wonderful, but it's still God's plan for my life. When God says no, he's as sovereign and loving as when he says yes. And when God takes away, he is to be worshiped as much as when he pours out and gives. Thirdly, and this is the last point, I'm going to land the plane. Suffering is the doorway to freedom. Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't three men that we tied in the fire in there? And certainly, your majesty, look, I, I see four walking around the fire. Now look at these next words, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Un, unbound. Prior to this, they used the word bind. Bind them up. Get the strongest soldiers and bind them up and, and tie them up. And they, they, they bound them up and they tie these guys up, close and all. And yet when they come out, the only thing that has been burned has been the ropes that they put on. That's the only thing that's been burned. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the furnace in verse 26 and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out here. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors all crowded around them. And they saw that fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. And their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Friends, here's the principle. The only thing the fire burned is what bound them. Their clothes didn't burn. Their hair didn't burn. Their flesh didn't burn. They didn't even smell like smoke. The only thing that burned was the ropes that, that had tied them up. And that's why we need adversity in our lives, friends. Adversity is what frees us from bondage. Oftentimes, it takes the fire. It takes the adversity to free us from our bondage. If I brought 10 of you up here to give your testimony right now and you were to share, you would share about an adversity that God brought into your life that led you to salvation, that led you to submit your life to Christ, that led you to break the power of addiction in your life. Why? Because oftentimes we need the fire to set us free. We need the adversity to break off that which binds us and that which holds us. Friends, don't push against it when God puts you in the middle of the fire, but trust that his presence will be with you and that he's got a purpose and a plan in it for his glory, for his honor, and to set you free. To set you free. <laughs> Suffering oftentimes is the doorway to freedom. I'm going to invite the worship team to come as we close. Friends, our culture is a river that is flowing contrary to God's word, God's truth, God's values. And as believers, we need to have the courage to take a stand, to simply not participate and not compromise what the word of God says. It, friends, that might lead us into the fire. That might endure ridicule and persecution. That, that might lead us to finding ourselves in the fire. And God has the power to deliver, but sometimes he might not choose to deliver, but might choose to simply be with you in the midst of the fire. Faith obeys God instead of following man. Faith obeys God in spite of what it sees. Faith trusts in God and says, God, I'm going to be faithful and obedient to you and trust you for the outcome. I want to just close with one more illustration from A.W. Tozier. I want to leave you with this. He said this, the hammer is a useful tool. The hammer, it's a Father's Day. This is perfect. The hammer is a useful tool. But to a nail... If, I, if it had feeling, if it had intelligence, would present a different side of the story. For the nail only knows the hammer as an opponent, a brutal, merciless enemy who lives to pound it into submission, to beat it down out of sight and clinch it into place. 
See, that's the nail's view of the hammer. And it's accurate except for one thing. The nail forgets that both it and the hammer are servants of the same workman. Let the nail but remember that the hammer is held by the workman and all resentment toward it will disappear. You see, the carpenter decides whose head will be beaten next and what hammer has been been used in the beating. That is the sovereign right. When the nail has surrendered to the will of the workman, it has gotten a little glimpse of the benign plans for its future. Then it will yield to the hammer without complaint. Friends, God is the workman. You and I are the nail. We don't know what he will use, but I can tell you that he is working it out for a bigger plan that you and I do not see. The question is, can we submit ourselves to the workman? Can we submit ourselves to the carpenter, to the one who has a masterpiece that he's working on? Some of you need to take a stand, simply not participate. You've been going with the flow of what this world has. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit is saying, you know what? You've got to take a stand. You've got to stop. You've got to stop participating. You've got to repent and you've got to, you've got to take a stand. Some of you are in the fire right now and you need to say, Lord, I just need your presence in the midst of the fire. I need your presence right now in the midst of the fire. I need your presence. And some of you, you're in the process. You say, God, encourage my faith because I'm trusting you. I don't know the outcome yet, but I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. Let's bow our heads today. Father, today we come before you right now and we surrender ourselves to you. God, we pray that you would give us courage to take a stand and to not bow and go with the flow of a culture who goes against what your word says. But as followers and believers in you, may we live according to your word, even when it's not popular, even when it goes against the flow. Father, will you help us to take a stand and simply not participate in the things that go against what your word says? Father, we surrender to you for those, Lord, that are in the midst of the fire. Lord, we surrender to you. You know the outcome. And I pray, Lord, that you would just be real, that we would sense your presence in the midst of the fire. We trust your sovereignty, Lord. That's your responsibility. The outcome is up to you, but we can trust, God, that you are working out your plan. I pray that today you'd set people free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.